One of the things I would encourage uh, of you as you hear texts of Scripture uh, read in church on Sunday, and perhaps especially when you hear the gospel uh, read, is uh, to imagine yourself inside the scene. Um, If you were there, not just hearing it told as if something 2,000 or more years ago, but if you were actually in the scene, what would you be uh, feeling, thinking, noticing, paying attention to? Um, This is one of those good stories to do that. You know, I've been actually to this part of um, the world where these first disciples were called on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee with some of you right here in this room. And so it's easy for me uh, to imagine uh, these fishermen. Repent, the kingdom is near. Follow me, and I will make you fishers for people. Jesus says, turn your life around, reorient everything. God is is coming into the world, breaking in, enveloping you and everything else. Make me the most important relationship that you have. Make me the central love among all your loves. And if you do that, then through you, other people will come into this life of the kingdom that is breaking in. That is Jesus' message as he launches into his ministry. And as you'll know, uh, prior to this story in the Gospels, very, very early on, Jesus has the temptation story where he confronts the enemy of God, Satan, in the Judean desert, which is far to the south of here, okay? So after that, immediately we find Jesus in a very different geographic location. He is now again on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, in and around the towns of Capernaum and Bethsaida. So what I want you to understand here is that from Matthew, who tells this story, geography is theology. Geography is theology. The point here is Jesus is beginning his ministry, the very sort of northern reaches of the Holy Land, the, the land occupied mostly uh, by the Jews, right where the country sort of bleeds into pagan territory, into, into Syria, into the land of the Gentiles, into what was once centuries before the land of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, so Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy made hundreds of years ago in Isaiah that light would come to shine there. So again, what I'm trying to stress here. I think Matthew wants us to get, is geography is theology. Jesus begins his ministry at the boundary between the Holy Land and the rest of the world. Perhaps in our own lives we might think of it at the, at the place where the sacred in our lives intersects or bumps up against the secular. And he's not traversing this realm alone, this curtain, if you will, that separates the people of God from the rest of the world. He calls disciples. One of the things that's interesting about Matthew is that a little bit later on, he will tell his own call story, how he was called to follow Jesus. But other than that, these four, these two sets of brothers, are the only place in his gospel where he actually describes the call. The other seven disciples are simply listed uh, in the story. And I want to just point out three quick things about how these very ordinary people are called out into an entirely new kind of life. The first thing I want to point out is that discipleship begins in pre-existing relationships. These are two sets of brothers, Andrew and Peter, James and John. 
Again, discipleship, if this is a paradigmatic story, and I think it's supposed to be, discipleship actually begins perhaps not for 99% of us saying, I've come to know Jesus, I'm going to New Guinea. Uh, But right where you are, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your brothers and sisters, maybe with your friends. We could talk a lot more about that. Think about the call of discipleship as beginning with people that are already next to you, already around you. The second aspect of the story may sound like it runs counter to the first point I made, but I can't help noticing that Matthew stresses that James and John left their father high and dry in the boat. So I imagine the scene, I'm in that story. You know who I'm looking at? I'm looking at Zebedee. Like, what is he thinking? Where are my sons going? They're just walking off the job. Not only that, they're walking away from the family business. Jesus calls ordinary people out of their daily rhythms and existence. He calls us out of familiar patterns, systems, perhaps even familiar ruts. Again, I always wonder what Zebedee is thinking here. And it actually made me think of this. There's another story that Jesus tells uh, about a son who walked away from his father. It's the story of the prodigal son. What is the difference between the prodigal and James and John? After all, all three leave their father. Well, here's the difference. One of them leaves his father and his home to chase after his own appetites and ambitions, the desire to be autonomous, to be free of anything and everything that may constrain him from being what he wants to be, to invent himself, as it were. And, of course, that is a story that ends in disaster. And it ends in disaster for all of us who try to do that, the idolatry of our age, actually. That story is also meant to be paradigmatic. But the sons of Zebedee, while also leaving their father, do so for entirely different reasons. They leave their father in order to follow Jesus into the kingdom of God. The motivations could not be more different. And here's the great gospel irony. Jesus is more important, even than family and your jobs. And ironically, the best way to bless your family and your jobs is to live like that. And that's exactly what James and John do when leaving their father in the boat. And I wonder too, I don't know, this may be taking it too far, if in some ways it's analogous to Jesus leaving the Father in heaven to come to earth to accomplish his kingdom purposes. The third thing I want to point out is the swiftness of the decision. We're told immediately, immediately they follow Jesus. And I think the point here is not about the measure of time. It only took 15 seconds or however long, very quickly. No, that's not the main point. The point here is the utter conviction that led them to a decisive break with the way they had formerly been living their lives. And that is what repentance actually is, a total reorientation of their lives to this new thing, this new work and this new person, Jesus and his work on the frontier of the kingdom where the kingdom is pressing into the world. Immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. So I'll share it again. From Matthew, geography is theology. It's also figurative. 
I know many of us hear this story of the disciples. I often have, and, and, and I, I can't leave my family. I can't leave my job. I can't live, leave where I'm already living. That's just not practical. The bar is actually too high, and so I guess I'm just a, not a really good disciple. I don't think that's how we should hear it. Because many of us lived what I would call a partitioned kind of life, partitioned life. I have my work life. I have my family life. I have my social life. I have my me time life, right? Then I have my spiritual life. And they're separated like different countries on a map. They may touch each other, but they're partitioned. So maybe it's hard to see your spiritual life, your life with Jesus, as more than some partitioned, self-contained part of your life. Its own country touching, but not actually crossing the boundaries of all the other parts of your life. So again, think about how that may not be true. If the kingdom of God is what Jesus says it is. It is a movement of God into your life that invades every single aspect of it. Right where you are. I always find examples of other people helpful. I was at a conference at Duke Divinity School last fall, and I heard the dean of Duke Divinity School, Greg Jones, tell the story of a friend he has made in recent years whose name is Maggie. I won't try to pronounce her last name because Maggie lives in Burundi. Maggie is a Roman Catholic uh, laywoman. Uh, She is ethnically of the tribe of the Tutsis, and in 1993, horrific civil war broke out in Burundi. Militia from a different ethnic tribe came to her village, and they tied Maggie to a chair because she worked for the bishop. And they made her witness the execution right in front of her eyes of 72 of her villagers, including, by the way, priests, nuns, and her very, very dearest friend. Miraculously, they let her survive. And not only that, but in the ensuing hours, she discovered seven little children that were hiding in the sacristy of the church in the village. And then eventually, they found 25 more little kids. So Maggie, if she was thinking properly, right? Like we would think she should have left, gotten out of there, made her way to a Red Cross refugee camp. But she decided no And she decided very quickly, no, I am staying. And she founded an orphanage in the midst of all that carnage, that genocide. And interestingly, at the orphanage, she built a a swimming pool for the kids. She developed a mechanic shop, a library, a school, a beauty shop, a farm, a hospital. And then most interesting to me, she created there at the orphanage a movie theater, a movie theater for the kids, but also for people who would come from miles around. And she was asked, why, in the midst of all of this, would you think that's important to to build a movie theater? And she said, because I want my children to be able to see that there's, there are different stories. There are different stories in this world to the story that they've been living right here. And then my favorite quotation from her, she said, love made me an inventor. Love made me an inventor. Here's a person 
who immediately reorients her life in the midst of the worst thing we can imagine to follow Jesus right where she is. And in the midst of that, she is creating a new country. Like a movie theater opened on drenched in blood, ground in genocide, the decision to follow Jesus where you already are is a decision to live your life as if it's a different story from the story that's being lived out all around you. A different story to the very bad script that's being lived out in a very broken world right now. Jesus invites us to follow him, to enter into his story. It's not easy. This is not an easier story. This is a story that will lead us to the cross. And through his cross and through our submission to that and our coming to the foot of it, an abundant kind of life that we too seldom ask for or imagine. Not many of us are as heroic as Maggie. I know that I am not. But this story today calls me, calls me at least, if not you, yet again to consider the geography of my loves in my heart, the geography of the way I'm actually living out my life. Perhaps it will for you too. Immediately, they left their boats and they followed him.